What's up, y'all? It's Zach Willis and Corporate, and yo, we got a special off-schedule bonus show for y'all. That's right, we got an off-special bonus show for y'all. You know, Living Corporate is proud of all the relationships that we have, all the partnerships that we're able to create, and um, just the work that we're able to do in the spirit of advancing workplace fairness, equity, inclusion, the fact that we're able to work with a diverse set of industries, partners, it makes me proud. I ain't gonna hold you. And it makes me proud of the team, or rather, it increases the already high levels of pride I have in our team. But today's show, like I said, it's already special bonus off off cycle uh, show. Just excited about is with Fama.io, Fama.io, and we sit down with the CEO of Fama, Ben Moans. All right, now look, me and Ben had fun off rip. I ain't gonna hold you. We had a we had a great time, super fun conversation talking about. The origin of his company, talking about really like how he came to build this, talking about the intersection of AI and workplace fairness, the future of HR as we become increasingly technologically capable and advanced, Uh, talk a lot about like policies and procedures and ways to make sure that your that, that technology does not create disparate impact for historically marginalized communities. So I'm excited. Okay. I'm excited about this conversation. I'm excited about y'all checking it out. Make sure that y'all click the links in the show notes to check out fama.io, their research, the work that they're doing. And if you want to work with them and check them out more, you can learn all about them right there. Right. So just click the link in the show notes, make sure you tell a friend, you know what I'm saying? Share this episode, let people know what's going on. But uh, yeah, you know what I'm saying? I'm just excited that we're able to sit down with Ben. Shout out to McCole and I shout out to the Fama team. We'll talk to y'all soon, right after this conversation. Ben, welcome to the show. How you doing, man? Doing great, Zach. Thanks for having me on board. Appreciate it, man. Excited to chat with you. Hey, I'm excited to sit down with you as well. You know, it's funny. I think I've had, so we've had, we've had, I mean, look, Living Corp has been around for about five years. So we've had literally like almost a thousand podcast uh, episodes. Uh, But, you know, we've had very few uh, white or white passing CEOs on the show. You should really consider yourself part of a very small collective. I'm very excited about the fact that I'm able to sit down with you. Honestly, you came in here, you have a normal shirt on. I would imagine you put your pants on one leg at a time. You know, I used to think you tech CEOs, like, I don't know. I just just have this very like fanciful idea of like how y'all be moving around. It just, it feels like there's just money everywhere. You know what I'm saying? But I appreciate that you, you know, you came down to earth for me, man. Um, Oh, no way, man. It's all good. Yeah. I, uh, the way I look at it, it's like, you know, I'm just a normal dude in exceptional circumstance. So happy to be here. I'll I'll try to hold it down for white people as best I can, but I don't speak, I was just saying, I don't speak for the race. I'm not here to to hold it down for the white thing, but Hey, if I'm one of the few white people on your podcast, I love it. I might put that, I might put that as a, like a little mini caption under your picture not here to hold it down for the white thing that is fire <laughs> you can you, you you depending actually depending on how the podcast goes i'll decide if i want to to represent white people uh as a as a whole, monolith whole stuff. <laughs> yeah, okay yeah. all right man this is man, this is already starting off funny okay so can you provide a brief overview of your journey from the inception of the idea for fama 
Io to becoming its CEO. And like, I'm curious about like just what was the core problem or gap in the market that you wanted to you wanted to solve for? Like what like what happened? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. So uh, my background again. Thanks for having me on, man. I'm excited to uh, to chat today. My background really just to kind of set the stage was in. Uh, enterprise software. Okay. So I've been doing like pretty much enterprise SaaS for my whole career, a few different types of companies, you know, whether it was like digital media analytics, I'd done like a CRM high level, just helping like big companies solve tough problems in cloud-based yeah. tech. And, you know, being uh, in the industry, you get the opportunity as a younger person, right, to, to kind of elevate your position. It's a very sort of uh, merit-based type sector, merit-based industry where you get out what you put into it. So uh, luckily I was able to have a few like exec roles early on in my career, Hired a guy, you know, one of my first companies, this guy looks great on paper, VP of sales, totally checks out, seems like the right dude. You know, he comes in uh, six months into the job, he ends up sexually harassing one of our top Oh my gosh. For her, yeah, really bad for, you know, this woman, the impact it had on her, obviously, but the business, you know, also experienced like a material impact, both financial, culture. We lost like 80% of our staff in a one year period following this single event. I had hired both people. And so I kind of you know, looked after the fact and said, what did we miss? Was our response for setting up this scenario in any way? And we see all over this guy's social media, pejorative, misogynistic content about women that had we seen it, we never would have brought this guy on board. And this was more than a decade ago at this point, yeah. right? And so, you know, when I started Fama, that very much is like the, the steel thread, you know, in the product today, which is essentially helping companies identify workplace misconduct, you know, via online screening. So our whole thing is like, you know, we aren't helping sort of solve the qualified, does this person have the skill set, the experience, et cetera, but much more quality of hire, right? Are they gonna work with your customers and extend your brand in their eyes, right? Are they gonna be a contributing member to a great company culture? So a lot of the stuff of, you know, intolerance, threats, harassment, um, all of it, you know, the, the signs of that misconduct are available online in 2023 and we provide the tools to help employers, uh, yeah, integrate that in a compliant way into their screening process. That's incredible. I mean, you know, what's also, I'll say, notable to me is there was a significant error, right, in hiring. There was trauma that was created that was that had, yep. to your point, material impact on your people and your business. And as opposed right. to like, I don't know, doing this awkward dance, frankly, that a lot of majority leaders do and like scapegoating or sidestepping or whatever it was a uh wait a minute no something is wrong here we need to not like this cannot happen again um yeah you know I, i'm curious like to that end like to those un, for those unfamiliar can you explain in simple terms what fama does yeah 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 so really you know we're of the mindset that, as I was saying, you know, that the the shape of misconduct, how it presents itself, signals of this sort of like, you know, behavior that damages workplaces, that has that impact, right? As we live so much of our lives online, spend so much time, even you and I, right, connecting here over this Zoom, over, you know, or, or this Squadcast, like, you know, we're, we're, we're interacting in digital environments, right? And this is like a good proxy to consider how so many of us interact, whether it's on social media with one another or simply, you know, who we are in text, image, and video, right? Not our analog, physical, human blob selves, but who we are in this sort of digital sense, this digital context. And, you know, that is really uh, the expansion, I'd say, of that arena of like business, commerce, 
hanging out, getting together, um, essentially means that while there's a lot of good, you know, like we get the, the dog pigs, the check-in at games, right? The, the different things, the checking in on family that we use online social media for who we are on the internet, finding new information also means there's a lot of risk out there, mm -hmm. right? And so what Obama does is we essentially allow companies to identify, say, hey, these are the things that types of misconduct that are important to me. I'm hiring an exec. I want to know about any reference to, you know, call it um, civil litigation in their background, like the harassment. I want to know if they've said anything, you know, intolerant, threatening, harassing online that might alienate customers. Maybe it's going to alienate, you know, uh, people who work with me, make good people want to leave, right? And so, you know, Fama, when it comes down to what we do is we help identify that sort of information on behalf of employers, executive search firms, investors, et cetera, who are essentially trying to make sure that the people they bring into their organizations are going to drive, you know, the future of that organization, not detract from it. So yeah, we don't score. We don't give you like a yes or a no, who's a good person, who's a bad person. But what we're really good at is uh, finding a person's complete web presence, filtering through it and only pulling out the sort of hits or flags that map to one of a company's risk criteria. So the bottom line is like, there's some like, I'd say like Orwellian, like big brother overtones that some people see with Bama sometimes. But the reality is, is like no employers care if you're like swearing online or if you're posting like a red solo cup. And even these days, a lot of employers don't care if you've got a picture of you, you know, smoking weed or something like that, because so much of that is now legal, right? right? So much of that is you know, uh, uh, just part of the standard fabric of, of society overall. So we only pull in the stuff that, you know, really represents, I would say that that sort of sense of misconduct and actually we're fine. Yeah. Operates. You know, it's, it's interesting, right? Cause like the, one of the first things when I, when we initially like living corporate initially met, like with the Fama team, like I was asking about like, like what are the determinations of like what goes into it or not. Right. Because so many, sure. so, so often, especially when you think about like historically marginalized communities, like it's like there's certain things that may may be seen as like uh pot potentially offensive or problematic and it's like is it really right so like if you sit back and you say like hey my grandfather was a black panther um and they were they were active in providing food to their to the children in Oakland and they post a bunch of pictures of like their 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 grandfather or like hey i'm really passionate about sure. this work and this history of the community service or whatever the case is like it's like stuff like that is like hey like what does it look like to make sure that there's some level of like cultural awareness and sensitivity of what actually gets pulled or flagged you know like that's to me when i think yeah. about like the future of the space and i think about you know i don't I, I i do get it to your point about like this this concept of like orwellian big brother mm -hmm. overlooking invasive but like the reality is we're in the age of information. And so like there has to be some level of analysis as to the things that you do. Plus, I mean, everybody lives off the internet now, Ben. I don't know if it's like no one has any personal business anymore. You have to post it online. But I guess I would say like, what would you say to that? The relation of like the, and how would you say Fama is considerate of like cultural context of the things they pull in from yeah. people's profiles? Yeah, you know, I'll I'll uh, I'll lean into it even even more. You know, I think there's the the first piece that you mentioned of like the context and the subjectivity, right? Of you know, there are very specific definitions we have for things like harassment, right? Threats, violence, right? Where you know, for example, supporting causes, you know, historical causes, for example, there's a whole like taxonomy of what's in and what's yeah. out, right? And so the specific example you gave, I think, certainly wouldn't be flagged, but. To tell you, you know, big on one of our values, Fama Transparency, the journey we've been on, and this is, you know, on the internet, you can find it. But we used to, you know, as a company, one of the things that we ran into early on was like, 
you know, we were looking at ways that we could build for the community of people that we serve, customers we have, making sure that people they're hiring, that we're screening in a way that's reflective of, you know, the the makeup, essentially, the people coming into these companies who's using the software. And so even, you know, using that cultural sensitivity piece, there was a period where we used to flag every instance of the N-word as intolerance, right? We used to think, you know, every, every, put that on every report, right? And then we start running our analysis. We're like, wait a second, like, we're unfairly potentially flagging, you know, black people effectively for using this word in a colloquial, like, you know, obviously there's a, a lot of weight to that word, who uses it, what context, when, et cetera. Mm-hmm. But like the way that we looked at it, we said, we did the analysis, check this out. That term is used more than dude and bro on Twitter. It's true. So, you know, this is one of these things, right? That like, if suddenly you start flagging for these sorts of, you know, terms as intolerant, then reality is, is you're going to flag black people more than white people for intolerance when in fact, that's not intolerance, you know, in the scope of what intolerance actually is by definition, right? So that's an evolution that we crossed, you know, uh, about five years ago or so at this point. But that's part of the journey you go on as a tech company is figuring out, like, facing those sorts of issues, those changes in the product, right? So that you can ensure that the solution itself is reflective of the value that you propose to provide. So making changes like that, right, of like, you know, making sure we're not using that word in the intolerant context. That's a hot hot topic for sure at the time, but now it's just like right. standard in what we do. And how so we a do. couple things here. Uh, first off, I want to thank, I want to shout out to you for having the wisdom and insight to mention the N-word, but not saying the N-word to a black guest. That's smart. And I love the fact that you brought that up. Two, you're right. Black people say nigga a lot. In fact, I say it every day. It keeps my teeth relatively white so like to your to your point around like to your point though like like that's exactly what i'm talking about right there has to be some level of like yo learnedness and like willingness to adapt and 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 adjust i think like that's also i think like yet yet another great example of like why intersectionality involvement like of different perspectives and experiences is so important in tech because like you'll mess around i mean like you see all this stuff with like um like these tools that like can't recognize darker skin and like you know even like even sure. like facial, facial recognition, recognition yeah. and you know like it's, 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 so i love that um so look all of this look we've been doing a lot of intro figuring each other out we're here to talk about your recent research on the state of misconduct at work in 2022 now what was the purpose of this research and why is it important yeah, sure. To, to get back to the <laughs> the nuts and bolts of the conversation, we can talk about the other stuff too. I mean, that's the that's the really exciting stuff for for me to talk about because it is so like you know non binary in terms of like decision making processes, yeah. how you go about it. But in any event, the state of misconduct to work in twenty twenty two. The report that we released is effectively one of the first times that we are able to tie the impact of work, workplace misconduct to you know what's happening in the workplace today, right? So at FAMA, we've screened hundreds of thousands of people in twenty twenty two. And we're able to track by industry incidences of misconduct, mm-hmm. right? And so for a long period of time, I think, you know, very forward-thinking HR leaders have known that, like, misconduct in the workplace has a social multiplier effect. There's this great research, came out of Cornerstone, this is in the report itself, but there's a social multiplier of 1.59x on misconduct in the workplace, which means that, in layman's terms, one bad apple spoils the bunch to a period of 0.59, right? So one incident leads to more in the workplace, right? So the general idea is how can we help the practitioner identify that sort of misconduct before it becomes a problem? And so this misconduct report kind of ties industry by industry. What are the sorts of flag incidence rates or misconduct incidence rates that might be affecting, you know, their business uniquely? So existing customers can kind of compare their hit rates 
to the industry itself and understand maybe how their like talent acquisition strategy is bringing in more potential misconduct that could inform earlier on in your pre-employment screening process and your interview process, the sorts of things that you look out for and that you seek as, as part of that. So yeah, the misconduct report is like, you know, people always used to be like, I know misconduct is important. I want to identify it's a trip. I mean, not to, not to like go so big, but it's like a trillion dollar problem. Like this is a legitimate, if you think about fraud, harassment, all that in the workplace, right? It's a big deal for businesses throughout the world. And so now this report is essentially saying, yeah, you don't have that back door of like, you can't identify misconduct. Now there are ways that we can do it. We can tell you by industry what's out there, all that sort of stuff. So yeah, it's, it's really helping companies understand what's going on in their industry, how they can develop action plans to reduce misconduct in the workplace and set benchmarks really as to where they think they should be based on their peers. So like media and entertainment, for example, 27%, 27% incidents of misconduct, whereas you have like uh, more regulated industries closer to like the five or 6%. Yeah. So there are certain industries that have this problem more than others. I mean, and then I mean, honestly, even like to your point about the report and like, you know, like how it impacts talent acquisition and management and just talent overall, the fact that there's essentially like looking at your, y'all's research, I want to talk about your research methodology in a minute, but there's something I want to call out first is like um, that the misconduct forces existing and new employees into like three different options. They can either resign, like they can leave, they can stay yep. and like essentially like adapt to the culture of misconduct um, or they can work less and disengage. And like, no matter what the employee chooses, it's not good for business, man. Like that's, that's so sad. That sucks. I mean, plain and simple. It's bad for the employee, bad for the employer. It's bad for customers, It's bad for the market. Like these are things that, again, I think there was often this kind of backdoor where people would throw up their hands and be like, you know what? We can't really identify it. There's no way to measure. We're going to try our best. Right. And now we're saying is you can measure it, you can identify it. And here's what's normal for your industry. So that's kind of the, the, the simple way to think about it. But um, yeah, it's, it's a really exciting report. I don't want to like plug my stuff too much, but this is one of the best reports I think we've ever released. Honestly, it's 86, 86 citations in it, in the report itself. So there's some, some real, data. I mean, I mean, it's, it's, imp- it's, it's incredible. You know, the other thing I think about, right. is like, to your point about like one apple spoiling the bunch and this like this multiplier of, of 1.59, it's like, I can see there being a true, like, I can see it becoming like a, an, like a, an existential threat to a brand over time. If misconduct is not like, really rapidly addressed right because essentially kind of just spreads like this i don't know infection or something it becomes it, it can metastasize into something that is no longer really curable right so like even as i look at we talked about this report and it's like okay like 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 going back to like these three options working less and disengage uh, cornerstone and demand research finds that misconduct lowers productivity 30 to 40 percent so like let's just say like there's different ways to pin sounds like you read the report. a little bit sounds like just just a little no but just just some light skimming man just just a little little from time to time light reading so here's the thing about like conceptually like or just when i think about like the practical impact of that so let's say let's say um a majority of your organization decides to say you know what i'm just going to disengage from that and i'm going to just try to stay because there's economic pressures. I don't have the luxury of leaving, but also I genuinely don't feel comfortable in participating in, the, in, in this culture, this culture of misconduct. 100%. So then what happens is you have these people who are still there, but they're, 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 they're drastically disengaged, which means your work product, your customer experience slash user experience dramatically drops. So you, and then depending on like the maturity of your organization and your performance management or talent, your talent lifecycle management strategy, 
you don't they don't they don't necessarily get fired because they're not necessarily doing a bad job. They're just not as engaged. So then what do you do? You hire more people. And so like then you have like over time you have sunk costs because like you're hiring more and more people, but you're getting less production because you have this culture of uh, of misconduct, which is just it just becomes like a cyclical problem. I can, I can see that really being a, a serious issue. I would actually imagine what I'm describing is a lot. It's not. A, I'm going to say a lot because especially if we're having like a data conversation. But I'm going to say I would not be surprised if there was a significant number of organizations that fall into what I'm describing. Right. So you walk into an organization. There's tons of people. And mm. like it could be way more effective and efficient and impactful. But because of all the misconduct over time, it 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 it, it, it the growth flatlines or plateaus and eventually stops. Right? Like I could see that. Do you feel like I'm? Right. Do you feel like I'm out of place in saying that? No, I, I think it's it's spot on. I would I would expand even further to say, all right. So we start seeing, like you said, uh, good people leaving. Yeah right? The impact on productivity, you know, in that same research, good people are 54% more likely to leave in a toxic work environment, right? So it's not just productivity impacts, but it's turnover. And unfortunately, these are the events that bubble up in a spreadsheet or in a report that HR creates, right? Or in a, you know, if you're a big public company, right? Measuring productivity, that's something that happens in the finance department that is brought to a management team and say, hey, what do we do about it, right? And not being able to connect those dots because it's kind of like, to simplify the analogy, we dump a bunch of people into the top of a funnel and then hope that work stuff comes right. out, right? And it's like, okay, well, the work stuff didn't come out the same way. Where in this funnel and this ingredient mix did we go right. wrong? And what we're saying is like, there are plenty of tools and options within that experience of work. There is a myriad of technologies. There are management structures, management styles, yeah. communication frameworks, employee training, employee learning upskilling, right? Like where you recruit from all these different things. But what we're saying is imagine if you at the front of your funnel, your people, funnel, you have that sort of early involvement in making sure that we're screening for workplace misconduct. I ask our customers to think for themselves, what would it mean for your workplace if everyone at the company got a harassment check? Right. What would it mean for your workplace if everybody who has a badge had screened for saying racist shit on Twitter? Yeah. You know, like, what would that mean for your company and the way that you interact? The second, third, fourth order effects are exactly as you describe. It's like, if, I, if, if I'm, let's put it, call a spade a spade. If I'm sitting in a meeting with somebody and they say something misogynistic, right? I'm not going to be focused on what's on the whiteboard or what my role in the project is. I'm thinking like, wait, what? I feel uncomfortable here. And yeah. like, why am I spending my time and, and I'm supporting my family? I'm pouring my life into this company when people around me are acting in ways that are so, you know, and it's not like who voted for Trump, who voted for Biden. It's not who likes the color red, who likes the color blue. It's this basic stuff that most of us as people agree is like, we don't want to work in an environment rife with harassment. We don't want to spend time with people that treat people differently because of what they look like and where they're from. And like, that's the majority of people. That's the reality of the situation, but there are a few very low, you know, low probability, but high impact people that turn that upside down. That's what I agree with you. You know, you talk about you talk about your pride behind this research and, and rightfully so. And the, and the dozens upon dozens upon dozens of citations. Can you shed a little bit more light on the research methodologies behind FAMA, like as a whole, like, like yeah. what does that look like? 
Yeah, so we're one of the only companies that has permissioned access to you know a person's complete web presence as part of the pre-employment screening process, which essentially means like we get consent from everybody to run this check, and we have the ability to anonymize and aggregate that data to see what's out there. So effectively, what we did is we have uh, we took all of our 2022 data, which includes hundreds of thousands of checks, just shy of a million actually. That means you know about a million job seekers or so were the ones that you know are part of this research. A couple hundred thousand in there. Um, we took all of the flags that we found on those people segmented by industry, anonymized it, aggregated it, took out all the PII to essentially uncover tens of thousands of incidents of misconduct that we then compartmentalized and organized into a research methodology. But that was, uh, you know, even down to the detail of like tagging the individual industries and taxonomy, making sure that we like mapped back every single company to each sector um, you know, was a, a big undertaking. It took us like nine months to get this, uh, get this right. You know, what, what I'll say is that like, I, I'm so excited about the, the fact that like, we're putting it all like in something that's quantity because people, some of the, some of the findings, right. Cool. Some, some of the findings that like the, that the research calls out, there are things that I think a lot of us intrinsically, like our gut our instinctually, we know, but like putting it in something and break in hundred percent, right. But bifurcating it and by industry and and breaking out in such like really like uh, what's the word unassailable ways, mm. it just makes like like so so not it just it progresses the conversation on the things that we need to be talking about. Like we don't have to make have any more debates about like or rather I'm sorry, the debates become much less like intellectually honest when we can look at something like this and say, hey, look, we're no longer like going to like go back and forth about this. Like this, the data is very clear. Um, I think yeah. what I'm curious about, yeah. like, you talked a little bit about companies and how they can leverage this information. Is, is there anything more you'd like to add around how this how this can be used to enhance uh, customers, clients, um, organizations, current hiring processes? Yeah, yeah. So I think, you know, you're, you're spot on with that first piece just to go back to it of, like, being able to tie it all together, right? So many of us know the impact of workplace misconduct. Yeah. We felt it. We've been there. You heard my founding story, right? Everyone's got a story like that. Maybe at a smaller level, maybe it happened to a friend, but everyone has that sort of intrinsic known, known experience of dealing with that sort of stuff in the workplace. Right. And, and I think, you know, I'm sure given, like you mentioned the black and brown nature of your audience, a lot of your people listening probably empathize with that, have experienced that themselves. Right. And so, you know, our, our whole, you know, perspective on it is essentially like, we aren't talking about who's qualified to do the job. We're not talking about, again, like, do you have the experience? I would even put, you know, someone who's like, uh, uh, you know, uh, with the resume, with the background, like with the skill set, maybe they have the, you know, the, the contacts, right, in the industry. Like, that's a qualified person for the job. But what we're saying is how to use this is think about a proactive approach to combat and mitigate misconduct in the workplace and to know what good looks like for your industry. That's where, you know, we're, we're really trying to kind of take this, which is to say, like, you can now contextualize what's normal for your industry. Like, I actually tell our, our media clients, like, you should expect a lot of hits back. Mm-hmm. You really should, you know, because you're going to see this stuff. It's going to come up. Right. And so contextualizing it, I think, helps inform the strategy of managing this sort of misconduct. It doesn't mean you're going to, you know, fire or not hire in that industry, you know, 25 percent of people who end up making it to that penultimate stage of the pre-employment process, you know, you're going to have that course correction, right? So a lot of this is not just like, do we hire or do we not hire? But 
I encourage our clients to think about, you know, Fama as a platform for intervention, meaning just to simply say, hey, look, like, we love you. We think you're a great hire. Like, we want you here. But at the same time, you know, we found this litigation that you were involved in. You know, we found this uh, harassment, you know, uh, tweet that you posted. We found, you know, an article about, you know, you uh, being improperly, you know, fired or something like that from another company. Just want to let you know that's not cool here. That's not how we do things. That's not how we operate. Right. And that oftentimes that course correction for people is all they need. Yeah. You know, people don't need to be taught how to be a good person again. It's just like, oh, yeah, it's like I made that joke a few years ago. I totally understand where you're coming from. Totally own it. I'm not going to evidence that behavior here. Right. And so in many ways, it's not just like now we know where we are on the spectrum for our industry, but giving people the tools uh, to not just say no to a hire, but to course correct and make sure that they understand where the, for lack of a better term, the lines on the field are for that company that they're walking. Yeah. I mean, to your point, right. Especially we live in this, like we live in this time, like everything seems to be like binary, right? So it's like either, (laughs) either, either I champion you and throw you a parade or you're quote unquote canceled. Um, And like the fact I, I, I do appreciate the framing of, this being something to course correct, to guide, to drive awareness of, and to and to um, and to coach, right? So, like, what's interesting there is, and especially like we talked about a little bit earlier about like it's just being the age of the internet information. Even though we're kind of seeing trends, people trying to go back to analog. We're seeing like deep DVD sales going up and uh, and all this, and, and yeah, you know, yeah. whatever. But the point still is, is that like there's going to be a large portion of society that is going to be online and that post something in like 2012 that by the time they're looking to get some senior executive job that they thought was deleted or scrubbed or whatever that they pull back up. Right. Like, you know what I'm saying? I had a MySpace back in the day and a Zanga. Um, and do you remember what song your MySpace played when you opened it yeah, up? Yeah. Yeah, bro. So it was knuck if you buck dog. Cause like, cause in Houston and Dallas at the time. Oh, sure. Oh, sure. And sure. then I had, what are we talking about? Oh five, oh six. So I graduated in oh eight. So I started college. I started high school in oh four. So yes, absolutely. Nug if you buck was oh five, yep. um, and and then I had I had my people because you know back then it's so wild. You think about it, like a lot of us were like coding and stuff before we even knew what it was. But I had my friend come and like do the like the little cascading text that would like drop down on my page. It was incredible, yep. man. Uh, how about you? What was your song on your MySpace page? I don't even remember what my MySpace song was. I mean, I. I, I was back then. I was probably listening to like Mac Dre, Andre Nicotina when I was in high school. So that was probably what I was putting. I, I you know grew up in Portland, where the Bay Area scene kind of got more involved. But uh, you know, probably a, a good mix. I wish, I wish, I, I wish I knew. I really do. I, I wish I, I wish I knew what my song was. I should have known. I asked you the. Question. I was about to say. I was like, I was like, oh, he's probably gonna tell me something super fire. He asked me that's very, very specific question. But that's dope. Okay. okay. Not- Buck was a great song. I thought you were going to say like you know Chingy or something like oh. that because that was the, that was the generation. Yo, you know, Chingy, that was yes, the time. man, yeah, yeah, yeah. man. Look, honestly, genuinely underrated. Should have had a much larger career. Whole conversation for another totally. pod. Next time you come on, we'll talk about totally. it. Uh, but listen, um, I, I do. You know, you talked a little bit about like you talked about like how y'all engage y'all's data and the, and the stripping of P, PII and uh, personal yeah. identifying information, y'all. For those who, folks who don't know, um, in, in terms of like things to prevent biases, like what are some of the things that you've been proudest of? Again, you've talked about like the, you know, adapting and learning about just like cultural context and, and language and things yep. like that. But is there anything else that 
uh, any other measures in place that uh, help to mitigate bias at FAMA that you, you know, that you, that you think are pretty cool? Yeah, I'd say there's like, you know, functional elements in the product that, you know, push us towards a, uh, uh, a, a limited bias at the, the point of service delivery, right? And so, you know, we talked about like certain terms, but things like song lyrics, for example, movie quotes, you know, there's sense between that between like, you know, me quoting, uh, bringing it back, knock if you buck versus me actually saying something that's like harassing or misogynistic, mm. right? Knowing that there's like a song quote in there, right? So there's certain things in addition, like we don't give a score. We don't rank people. We don't say who's good or bad. We don't make a judgment about the subject. It's very difficult for a service provider to be like, hey, you know, John's an 88, Jane is an 84, and John should get the job. You know, it's like, well, it's because John's a man, Jane's a woman. So it's difficult for a third-party company to kind of explain where they get that score from, from a pure methodology standpoint. So we're even careful about like not putting even colors red and green in the application itself, Mm. because we don't want to impart like a stop start mentality for a user, even, you know, unconsciously in terms of what they're thinking about. But, you know, I'd say focusing on the content itself and not the individual is kind of the first path to reducing bias, because we're not saying that this is a threatening person. We're saying this is someone that's posted and said threatening things online. Right. And so that's where we're labeling the content itself. But, you know, when it comes to the kind of DNA of the business, um, We've got a whole, you know, series on ethical AI and our approach to building technology. But if I can, you know, without reading the whole blog post out loud here on the podcast, like high level, you have to make sure that people who are building the technology are reflective of the people that you're serving, the customers that you have and the people that are being screened. Right. And so we're super focused on having, you know, a half male, half female entire company. So 50 percent of our company identifies, you know, either as a female or non-binary in one way or another, right? We have 50% of our company that identifies as non-white, right? And so you have to just make sure, and it sounds kind of simplified, but you have to just make sure the people building the technology, you know, are reflective, again, of the people that you're serving, the community that you're working within. So if I had a bunch of, you know, white people running the company, white dudes, right, then it'd be a kind of a, a different story, right? And so part of it is you have to have kind of like the, the balance of, you know, uh, people who are making it building the technology reflective of the folks that you're serving. And there's a bunch of like AI bias auditing that we do and work that we do to make sure that, you know, we're not uh, biasing certain groups. And it goes back to some of the stuff we talked about earlier related to language, cultural sensitivity and all that. But yeah, a lot of, a lot of ingredients in that mix, I would say the most important though, is who's building it. What do they look like? Where are they from? How are we hiring? Where are we sourcing talent from? You know, like those are the, the big questions. You know, like one thing, like the, the thing at the top you said that I want to like, I want to highlight is the fact that you take y'all take the information and y'all don't try to add a grade to it. I would be honest with you, man. Like this is the first time I've like had somebody on like in this context to even talk about this, but it's something that really grinds my gears. It's when people mm-hmm. make and they build organizational or assessment models of anything, right? Of like, so not, or sorry, I'm sorry, not organizational, but assessment models of anything. It could be of like individual behavior or organizational behavior or system analysis or whatever the case is. And they, and as opposed to presenting the information, they like run the information through some type of scorecard or grade thing. Yep. And so like your man, so, and, and I pessimistically, I think it's like some desire to like manufacture some differentiation or value or additional brand when it's like, yo, like, I don't know why y'all are trying to add grades or colors or whatever to the information. Just tell me what the information is and present it to me in a way that is digestible and actionable. But like, you don't have to, but, but, but you can present it to me without you 
trying to editorialize it, which is which is yeah. really what that is. So I think it's dope that Fama is like just presenting it that way. I think like in my history, in my experience, like when I talk about like just even some of the consulting work I've done at different places, I ain't about to give them no branding, but very large consulting firms. And I would always come in and say, hey, look, you have this like maturity thing where like their results come out and we say they're a three or they're, you know, in the middle of the dial or they're whatever. And it's like, can we just have an honest conversation with the clients about the data itself and just tell them this is what the data is? Like, it's just, it's just, yeah. it feels like such a much more of like a, an authentic way to like, to partner and to consult and to share yeah. than this other stuff. You know what I mean? Totally. There's a, I think what you're pointing to is something I've also identified, even some of the first startup work I got into, but there's this sort of like consumerization of enterprise technology, right? Because we like a lot of ways, like Waze, for example, I like just plugging in an address and this thing tells me exactly how to get there, right? I don't need the, the DNA of how you built that route. I don't need to know the data behind how you built that route because I'm driving from point A to point B. Right. When it comes to business, right, when it comes to these like big decisions where there's a lot of gray area, right, where it's not a binary, how do I get home fastest, which is like a true, I just need the score, I just need the output, I don't need to know how you got there. But when it comes to, you know, these big questions in business, too often, I think you see a user sort of ask for that consumer approach to tech. I just want to score. Just tell me what to do. And by the way, like there are users who want that. There are people that ask for that sort of thing. Right. But I do agree with you that like the overall approach of enabling a business person in whatever context it is, hiring my company, different types of software, you want to bring people to the precipice of action. Meaning you want to give them the kind of like inputs and data that they need. Because like you just described in the consulting environment, it sounds like you worked at a big, you know, well-known firm. Like these are really talented people that work there, right? These are like some of the best of the best when it comes to the profession and the role that they're in. So why not enable that creativity, that innovation by using technology to collect all the data that they need to organize it for them so that they can then funnel that into their own decision-making model rather than the decision itself. So I think there's a time and a place for those scores, but, you know, we're, 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 we don't do it in, in Fama today. I mean, I could see a world where it's potentially possible, but yeah, right now, you know, we're very focused on like giving folks the data they need to make a decision about who. To I love that. Do. I mean, I mean like, it, like, like there's always pathways of like, and if, and, and also to be clear, right? Like, let's say I'm not even against necessarily building it, but I don't like, bundle it all together right so if it's like hey here's the data and then if you want to see how we would action or how we would you know what our like what our strategy and our lens informs that then hey like that might be like an additional service but like what i don't like is the fact that like you get that you get that that latter part as the output off top it's like yo can i just let me just see it anyway nerding out for a second but the point is um i'm curious like how do you see the role of solutions like Fama evolving in the context of HR and title acquisition between now and like 2028. 2028, when we're all all robots running around. Um, I I would say, you know, for for us, I think it's it's really beginning to understand the shifting landscape of the employee makeup of what, you know, we're going to look like between now and, you know, five years from now, 2028, right? Where... You see a lot of people making decisions about where they want to work 
based on the culture that they're walking into, right? The environment that they're in where, you know, for lack of a better term, you know, companies are being compared, you know, a lot more to like, you know, is this the sort of culture I want to work in compared to like the sector that I'm interested in, right? You know, so I think that's one element where we're going to continue to see the impact of workplace misconduct. You know, the numbers are big, like we talked about employee theft, $50 billion a year, occupational fraud, 5% of annual profits, right? intolerance 172 billion in the past five years all in the data reports you can back that up but uh in any in any event you know uh this is a problem that's going to get worse i see a convergence of you know how we live our lives meaning so much of what we do is now in the internet in the cloud who we are i would venture to guess that people who are between the ages of you know you know i'm 35 but the ages of you know 18 to 30 at this point probably have a bigger digital history than a analog history, right? You know, they have more online than, than off at this point. Right. And that's a trend that's going to continue, which means that this is an arena that will continue to merit further analysis and expansion for big decisions like employment, investment, dating, who knows, right. You know, the directions that folks go in. Right. But like, you know, there, there is no doubt to me that that convergence of how we live our lives, the increasing costs of workplace misconduct, the kind of third, Leg of the stool being the expectations of employees and customers of where they want to work and where they want to shop are changing now to reflect, you know, what what people care about. Right. Like I'll give you an example on on background checks. Mm -hmm. So, you know, 75 uh, percent. There was a SHRM survey last year, but 75 percent of people surveyed and they covered a wide range of uh, you know businesses, but also consumers. Seventy five percent of people are totally cool working with a nonviolent felony offender in a workplace. Right. That same amount of number are comfortable patronizing a store where someone is serving them, working with them, et cetera, right? And so people don't care as much if you smoked weed five years ago and got pulled over and got arrested for it, right? They don't care about that sort of stuff. What they do care about, though, is someone that's going to act in a way that harasses, acts in intolerant fashion, et cetera, or threatens people or acts in a fraudulent manner. So I think it's just a shifting of employee and customer expectations combined with this tech innovation where so much of our lives are online and that third piece of just the material, you know, business costs. And people are already doing this, like, you know, seven in 10 hiring managers do some form of social media screening, albeit on their own. So. You know, it's interesting, like to your point about like, even as you think about the future of work and like, you know, I'd say maybe like in 2003, like industry was really, really important because I feel like those, those, those pillars were much stronger, like those boundaries of like, okay, hey, if you're in this industry, you're going to do these things. Or if you're in this industry, you're going to do these things where like, it's just much more fluid now, just with like, like, yep. just like with technology. And then on top of that, when you think about like the nature of work and how people are just working differently, the idea of like being at a job for even like seven to 10 years is um, in one place is just not very common. And you look at like the intersection of like millennials continue to, to move at different places, Gen Zers, you know, like everyone's yep. like gigging on the side. They have their own startups. They're doing something like, so I could definitely see and understand, especially like in this age driven by technology, both culturally and also just on like how technology impacts everything and industries are intersecting at a much more, it's almost like a lattice now, as opposed to like mm -hmm. much more lattice to now uh, anyway, than it was like 20 years ago that like, I could definitely, yeah, yeah, I could definitely see like there being, like it makes a lot of logical sense that there would be focus on culture more because like, yeah, you know what I do? Like I build things over here 
and like I could I could I can like do this like coding and and product development over here like in healthcare or I could go over in hospitality and still do some product and coding like like who's to say right but like what's really important is like yo do I actually even want to be here do I actually want to like deal with these people around me do I enjoy the leadership do I appreciate the way that I'm being treated do I appreciate the way my colleagues are being treated do I want to hang out with these people outside of work like that's I see that yep. becoming more and more like prevalent so you know for aspiring entrepreneurs you talked about your founder's journey which is incredible um you know you talk about like you know again how, how you how you came up for aspiring entrepreneurs looking to delve into ai powered solution like what piece of advice uh, would you offer if any at all yeah i would say you know part of it is like you have to evaluate your risk profile you know the, the one piece of advice i give to people is like your brain is going to tell you that you leave your job and you go do that thing that you wanted to do. You go start that company you've always been thinking about, but oh my gosh, like I'm not going to have income anymore. I'm not going to, you know, uh, uh, have that safety, that security, right? My life is going to fall apart. The reality is, is that like, if you decide to go out and go do something on your own, you don't lose the experience that you had. You don't lose your earning power. You don't you lose, you know, essentially, but to go back and do that exact same job that you were doing before. So it totally depends on your scenario. When I started Fama, I, was, you know, single, just had a car payment, rent payment. That was all, all I had to deal with, you know, when I started the company. Uh, but now I got a family, right? I got two kids, I got wife, dog, cat, the whole story. And, you know, I'm in a different position now where I know that I do have to preserve that earning power, right? But I would just really say for entrepreneurs, like, evaluate really what your risk criteria is, because it's not as extreme as you think. You can always go back. And in the event that, you know, you do go back, in many cases, you're probably going to be uh, making more money with more experience, with better expertise, better leadership than you did previously. So I would say that's number one is like really understand what your risk profile is and ignore your brain telling you that all the wheels are going to fall off and you're going to be homeless living on the street because that's not what's going to happen. You know, and again, you have to balance out what your personal cash burn can look like, how much money you got saved up and all that. The very functional, how do I keep my situation rolling? But the second piece is, is like find mentors ask for help. My biggest skill as an entrepreneur is being flexible of mind, willing to be wrong and questioning even my own perspective with like, you know, counterpoints of view to my own. So that sort of flexibility, willing to listen, shut your mouth, listen to people who've done it better than you before. Me keeping my mouth shut are some of the best conversations I ever had. Honestly. I love it. I love it. Now, look, before we get you up out of here, um, are there any closing features or announcements from Fama that you'd like to share with our audience? Um, I'll start and then I'll ask on the back end of that where, you know, we've been talking about this research this entire time. Um, you know, I've read it incredible. Um, so my, the part B to the question is where can listeners find the research? Yeah, sure. So, um, one update for anybody who's in like the retail hospitality sector, looking for, you know, screening hourly contingent workers. we got a solution that is now in beta that we're doing for general release this fall called Fama Essential. It's designed to be kind of a more lightweight, cheaper version of the products we offer today. So it's trying to expand the number of customers that we can sell to and buy that we can provide. Um, so that is coming soon. That's this fall. And uh, if you want to learn more, fama.io or look me up on LinkedIn. Um, so yeah, fama.io is our website or you can find me on LinkedIn, Ben Monis, M-O-N-E-S. All right, love. so listen, y'all, y'all got to check out the link in the show notes because everything is in there, all right? Make sure you pause what you're doing. You know what I'm saying? I know you're probably walking your dog to dog park. You know what I'm saying? Put that thing on a... You know what I'm saying? Like, come on, like, let's go. T pull out your phones. You've been listening to in your headphones. You play out yep. your pocket. 
scroll down the show notes, yep. click that, and then check it out. All right, Ben, yo, this has been a fire conversation. I ain't going to hold you. I love the fact that you said the N-word. I love the fact that I actually said nigga, um, that we talked about tech. We talked about your brand. We talked about your journey. <laughs> we had a good time. I appreciate it, man. Yeah, thanks a lot for having me. It was really, really fun conversation. So uh, You, you yeah, genuinely I'll, made I'll, me laugh. <laughs> good, good. I'm glad. Now I'll have to decide if I if I'm willing to hold it down. <laughs> so I, I was gonna say because you came in, you represented. You know, I, I represent at least a third. You represent like a quarter, maybe half. And so yeah, you know, you let me know. We'll work with McCole, and I'll make sure I work on your caption. When we put out put it out in the market. All right. Um, we'll catch up with you soon. You're a friend of the show. So, we'll talk to you soon, man. All right. Thanks a lot. We'll talk Peace. soon. Thanks, Zach. And we're back. Yo, shout out to Ben. Had a great conversation. You see why I was laughing. We had fun the entire time. Uh, I appreciate the, the the candor, the transparency. You know, it's not every day you get to say nigga to a white executive in like a, a, a professional context. I think Papa John tried to do that, right? He did the ER. He got, he got fired for that. Right. But also he said it right. Like and this time the roles were reversed. Anyway, I had a great time. Uh, I hope y'all did too. <laughs> Listen, uh, the, here's what I will say. Like the future of work is going to continue to be more and more connected. Um, technology is going to continue to advance sometimes in ways that we find intimidating and scary. I would challenge that executive leaders, executive level leadership, make sure that they build in some level of um, ethical review and um, accountability for the tools that they build and that they would always be mindful of the teams that manage those tools. Every time we see organizations building these sorts of these sorts of tools, um, anything that seems to drive automation or ease of use or uh, acceleration in some sort of service every time when there's a group impacted it's always black and brown it's never white people right like so i want to make sure that y'all heard and i hope that this message is received from to received by Aaron, clean all that up my point is is that it's critical it's imperative that your teams are diverse i know diversity is now like this crazy bad you know buzzword in a negative way it's a four letter word now you have to have diversity of experience diversity of background diversity of every geography you have to have diversity on your teams to mitigate real problems right and i love that ben in his discussion and his breakdown of how Fama does their research, how they build their products, that there's a level of there's diversity in their teams. And then there's also a process to learn and improve. Right now, all that being said, like I said before, check the link in the show notes, make sure you click to see more about Fama to see more about the research that they've done um, in the, in the space of, more research that they've done in the space of workplace misconduct and make sure 
that you share it with a friend. All right. This has been Zach. I love y'all. Take care of yourselves. Till next time. Peace. Living Corporate is a podcast by Living Corporate LLC. Our logo was designed by David Dawkins. Our theme music was produced by Ken Brown. Additional music production by Antoine Franklin for Musical Elevation. Post-production is handled by Jeremy Jackson. Got a topic suggestion? Email us at livingcorporatepodcast at gmail.com. You can find us online on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and living-corporate.com. Thanks for listening. Stay tuned.